Welcome, I am Leanne Krawczyk. And I'm Robin Long. And together, we are your hosts for the Get the Dirt in Mining, a podcast series brought to you by the Denton's Mining Group. This podcast series covers various topics in the mining sector and aims to provide you with small segments that you can listen to on the go. You can find our episodes at www.dentons.com on our podcast page. There, you can access our episodes as well as an episode description for each topic and information on our speakers. And now, over to our podcast topic and speakers. Hello, everyone, and thanks for joining us today. My name is Leanne Krawchuk, and I'm a partner with Dentons and also a co-lead for the Dentons Canada Mining Group. Today, I have the sincere pleasure of being joined by my Edmonton colleagues, Alexis Barguza, Aaron Aiken, and Matt Thien. We will be discussing the prompt payment and construction lien act provisions that will come into force in Alberta as of August 29th, 2022. Aaron is a senior associate in our banking and finance group. Alexis is a partner in our construction infrastructure and public partnerships group. And Matt is a senior associate in our litigation and dispute resolution group. Matt has a tremendous focus on builders' liens and under the new legislation, what will now likely be called construction liens. We're going to provide an overview of the main amendments. First of all, the name change of the Act, which will now be called the Prompt Payment and Construction Lien Act. We're going to provide an overview of the prompt payment provisions and requirements for proper invoices to be issued by contractors. We'll also provide an update on how the holdback periods by owners will be changing, as well as the lien filing periods to be filed by contractors and subcontractors. And lastly, we'll discuss the new non-judicial dispute resolution process, which will be commonly now known as adjudication. Erin, if you could please start us off. We look forward to hearing about an overview of the changes in the legislation. Thanks so much, Leanne. Um, so as a starting point, I'm going to just talk a little bit about the application of the amended and renamed act, uh, which as Leanne mentioned, is going to come into force on August 29th, 2022. So all contracts and subcontracts entered into on or after August 29th, 2022 will have to comply with the amended and renamed act and associated regulations. All existing contracts and subcontracts will, however, continue to be governed by the provisions of the current Builders Lien Act until expired, terminated, or amended in order to conform with the amended and renamed act. With sort of one exception, the new rules are also going to apply to existing contracts and subcontracts that are scheduled to remain in effect until after August 29, 2024, so essentially two years after the new act comes into force. Although owners, contractors, and subcontractors will have until that particular date to amend their existing contracts and subcontracts to bring them into compliance with the new rules. So essentially, if you have an existing contract that is scheduled to wind up before August 29th, 2024, it will continue to be governed by the current Builders Lien Act. If, however, you have an existing contract that is scheduled to continue until sometime in, say, 2025, for example, 
you have two years from the date the new rules come into force to amend that contract and bring it into compliance with the new rules. So in addition, uh, the new rules uh, also provide some additional clarity with respect to the application of the act to certain types of professionals and certain types of, of contracts. So the act now specifically applies to professional engineers and architects acting in a consultative capacity in respect of an improvement. And sort of while this has always been the, the case, the act now clarifies that it does not apply to public works under the Public Works Act or contracts with the government of Alberta or provincial crown corporations. Um, the act also sort of includes some amendments, uh, bringing it more or less into the 21st century. Uh, we're permitted by the applicable contract. Uh, the act now allows certificates of substantial performance to be posted electronically uh, rather than on the job site, uh, provided that all persons providing labor and materials have a reasonable opportunity of seeing the electronic certificate. So if there's a central job portal, it could be posted there, for example. Thanks so much, Aaron. Alexis, we're now going to talk about uh, really the new concept of prompt payment and, and what triggers that. So we're looking forward to hearing about what constitutes a proper invoice and some additional access rights to information relating to um, the uh, contracts of contractors and owners. Thanks, Leanne. One of the most important changes to the Act from the perspective of contractors is the introduction of the concept of a proper invoice. Now the owner's requirement to pay is not triggered unless and until a contractor issues a proper invoice. The legislation sets out a detailed description of the requirements for an invoice to be deemed a proper invoice. The criteria for an invoice to be considered a proper invoice, the invoice must include the contractor's name and business address, the date of the proper invoice, the period during which the work was done or materials were furnished, identification of the authority under which the work was done or materials were furnished, which can be either a verbal or a written agreement, a description of the work which was done or the materials which were furnished, the amount being requested, and under that, the payment terms need to be broken down for the work done or the materials furnished, the name, title, and contact information to whom for the person to whom the payment is to be sent, and finally, a statement indicating that the invoice is intended to constitute a proper invoice. The PPCLA allows an owner and a contractor to contractually agree in their contract or supplementary conditions to the inclusion of additional items or information on each invoice, but the aforementioned list must be satisfied or the payment requirement will not have been triggered. Proper invoices must be given to an owner by a contractor at least every 31 days. Parties may agree to a specific date as to when proper invoices are to be delivered, but this time period cannot exceed 31 days. As an example, an agreement requiring a proper invoice to be delivered on the last day of every month would satisfy the requirements of the Act, as it would never be more than 31 days between invoices. However, an agreement requiring a proper invoice to be delivered on the last business day of every month would not necessarily satisfy the requirements, as depending on how the days fell, such a term might lead to more than 31 days between invoices. There is an exception to the 31 days. If a contract includes a provision for testing and commissioning of the improvement work done or materials furnished, and the conditions of such testing or commissioning aren't met, 
then the proper invoice is not required to be given every 31 days. Another change to the legislation is regarding pre-approval for issuance of invoices. The legislation states that any term in a contract which makes the issuance of an invoice conditional on certification or approval of an owner or payment certifier or consultant of no force or effect unless the provision provides for the testing and commissioning of the improvement or work done or the materials furnished under the contract. The new legislation also addresses interest. If payment on a proper invoice is not made on time, interest at the rate set out in the contract will apply. Where there's no interest rate specified in the contract, then the interest rate will be at the rate set out in the judgment interest regulation. Presently, that rate is 0.2% per year. The PPCLA also expands the right to access information. The right to request information of access to copies of the contracts and statements of account for a relevant project was previously only held by lien holders. Now the categories of persons that have a right to information related to a lien have been expanded. In addition to those lien holders, trust beneficiaries and contractors and subcontractors under a contract with a relevant owner, contractor, or subcontractor now have the right to request and inspect relevant contractual documents including contracts and statements of the state of accounts from an owner or contractor. Relevant contractual documents may include a statement of the state of accounts between the owner and contractor or between contractor and subcontractor containing all information prescribed. A statement of accounts must set out whether all or any portion of the amount has been paid with respect to a proper invoice or any other invoice, the percentage of amounts paid under one or more proper invoices or other invoices, and the date on which the amount was paid. Demands may be made to the owner, contract or co contractor, or a subcontractor, depending on the information being sought. Back to you, Leanne. Alexis, thanks so much for providing an excellent overview of the requirements for proper invoices under the legislation. I am now going to talk about the prompt payment requirements that are triggered by the receipt of a proper invoice by the owner. So an owner who receives a proper invoice will now be required to pay that invoice within 28 days to the contractor. An exception to that will only be if the owner issues an owner's notice of dispute under the act within 14 days of receipt of a proper invoice. That form is prescribed by the regulations to the amendments and is referred to as a form one. And in that form, the owner will describe the amount that it will not be paying the contractor, as well as detailed reasons for the non-payment. To the extent that the owner disputes an only part of a proper invoice, it will be required to pay the undisputed amount within that 28-day period of receipt of the proper invoice. It will be incumbent on owners to ensure that in their internal contract management procedures, they now carefully have these dates flagged. So, Within every 14 days of receipt of a proper invoice, the owner will need to determine if it's going to issue a notice of dispute or not, and then do so. And it will be mindful of the fact that it will otherwise be paying 
the contractor's proper invoice within 28 days of receipt. So two really important timeframes for owners who are now going to have to abide by those under the legislation from and after August 29th in respect of contracts that are entered into after August 29th, as Aaron pointed out at the first part of our presentation. Now, what does this mean for contractors? So the prompt payment regime carries down to the contractor level as well. A contractor is required under the legislation to pay its subcontractors within seven days of receipt of payment from the owner. If a contractor does not receive full payment from its invoice from the owner, a contractor will typically then want to issue what's called a contractor's notice of non-payment, which is a form two to its subcontractors, because if it wishes to not pay its subcontractors in full, it will need to rely on that form. A contractor would have to issue a notice of non-payment form two within seven days of receiving a form from the owner, the form one from the owner where the owner issued the notice of dispute. Or if for some reason the owner didn't issue a notice of dispute to the contractor, the contractor would have to issue a notice of non-payment to the subcontractors within 35 days of the contractor issuing a proper invoice to the owner. If a contractor does not issue a notice of non-payment to its subcontractors within these timelines, the contractor will in any event be required to pay its subcontractors in full within 35 days of issuing the proper invoice to the owner. So for contractors, timelines that will be very important are ensuring that it knows the time when it's received payment from the owner and within seven days of that, ensuring it pays its subcontractors. Or if it is not receiving those funds within that time period, it will need to be considering issuing a notice of non-payment. It will be fairly easy for a contractor to know if it's going to issue a Form 2 notice of non-payment if it receives an owner's notice of dispute. So contractors, remember, if you receive an owner's notice of dispute on form one, and you don't want to pay your contractors in full because you are not going to be getting paid in full, within seven days of that notice of dispute, you must issue a notice of non-payment in form two to your subcontractors. If you don't do that, you will have to pay your subcontractors in full within 35 days of the date that you issued the proper invoice. So contractors will need to be very mindful of the dates that they issue their proper invoices to the owners as well. Additionally though, a contractor has another form that it can use, which is a notice of non-payment dispute form three. It will more likely use this type of form when it has in fact been paid in full by the owner, but for a variety of other reasons, wishes to advise one or more of its subcontractors that it is disputing something in their invoice that it will not be paying. The difference between these two forms, the form two and form three, will really depend on whether the contractor has received a notice of dispute from the owner or not. 
Um, and in the case of where the contractor has received a notice of dispute from the owner, the contractor it, in its form two will be required to undertake to take that matter to adjudication within 21 days. So that's a very important point as to how the, that dispute would be required to go to adjudication. And then lastly in the chain is what about prompt payments between subcontractors to their sub-subs? And, and very similar to the discussion relating to contractors, again, subcontractors likewise are required to pay their sub-subcontractors no later than seven days after receiving payment from the contractor. Again, an exception would be unless the subcontractor issues a form to its sub-subcontractors disputing payment. And similar to the discussion relating to contractors having a choice of forms to use, subcontractors likewise will either have a form five or form four to use in advising its subcontractors that it won't be paying their invoices in full. Now, the proper form to use when you have received uh, a notice of non-payment from a contractor, the proper form for a subcontractor to use will be the form four. Where a contractor has been paid in full, but still wishes to dispute part of a subcontractor's invoice, it will use the form five. These forms, either one of which, have to be issued to subcontractors within seven days of receiving a notice of non-payment from the contractor, or if no such notice is issued by the contractor, then in any event, the subcontractor has to issue this notice to its subcontractors within 42 days of the contractor issuing the proper invoice. So for subcontractors, they will need to ensure in their payment system that they carefully track the time period on receipt of payment from the contractors and that they're checking exactly every time the seven day period when they have to pay those their subcontractors invoices or in any event, what is the 42nd day after they've issued a proper invoice? Because if a subcontractor does not issue one of these notices of non-payment to its subcontractors, in any event, within 42 days after the contractor issued the proper notice, the subcontractor is required to pay its subcontractors in full. Now, Matt, we're now going to hear you speak about the adjudication process, which I touched on briefly in the concept of notices of non-payment. And we would like you to give us an overview of what this adjudication system is going to, how it's going to work, how what, what disputes are covered and what disputes may not be. So over to you, thanks. Thanks Leanne, and thanks for uh, inviting me to chat about this issue today. Um, I'm going to speak specifically about the new lien registration timelines, um, holdback, and the adjudication. Now, prior to these amendments, the lien registration period was 45 days, um, as many of our clients and listeners will know. That has now been amended 
to be 60 days, with the exception that oil and gas improvements are going to remain at the 90-day timeframe. And improvements related to the furnishing of concrete as a material or work done in relation to concrete. That will also be 90 days. There is an exception in the new legislation that ready mix concrete does not apply to the 90 day lien registration period. That would be the 60 day period. When we think of ready mix, for those of our listeners that do not know, ready mix is the concrete you typically find at a Home Depot or Lowe's, um, and it's in a prepackaged bag and often used for setting um, fence posts, for example. Work related to an improvement that involves ready mix concrete, that will not attract the 90-day period, so everybody will be need to be aware of that. The impacts of these um, new lien registration per periods have a correlation to release of the major lien fund or uh, what most people refer to as the holdback. Um, the holdback then is going to have a 60-day period or a 90-day period depending on the type of work that was performed. Um, this can create some difficulties for owners and they should probably seek legal counsel on large large-scale projects with respect to release of holdbacks when there is both concrete work being performed when it attracts the 90-day holdback period and when there's um, general improvements being performed, which is going to attract the 60-day period. Um, when it comes to the holdbacks as well, there's a, a unique difference in the new legislation that was never found under the Builders' Lien Act. Um, for any contract that uh, exceeds one year in length and is over $10 million, the owner must release the holdback each annual year. Um, so there's an exception to that, and it is somewhat ambiguous in the legislation itself that uh, the owner and the contractor can negotiate a phased release of the holdback. However, my interpretation is that while you can negotiate a phased release of the holdback, it cannot exceed the one-year period prescribed in the legislation. So that's important for uh, all of our owners uh, to know that when it comes to uh, a contract that's exceeding one year in length, um, think of any type of infrastructure or large-scale project, and it's worth over $10 million dollars. Um, they will need to release that holdback on an annual basis. They are not required or they should not re release the holdback if there are any liens registered with respect to that contract. So you would once again follow the usual process of requiring those liens to be discharged prior to any release of the holdback, as the owner will remain responsible for the value of the major lien fund if they do that and there's liens registered against the property. So that's that's important to note. One of the major new differences is the adjudication process that is listed in the legislation and uh, the corresponding regulations. We have, at this moment, relatively little knowledge 
Um, but in speaking with our counterparts in Ontario, and as Leanne has mentioned, um, prompt payment legislation has been there now for a couple of years. The initial period is going to be a learning process, both for owners, contractors, and lawyers alike. What we do know is that when a matter is being referred to adjudication, um, and matters that can be referred to adjudication involve um, value of the services provided, uh, payment, um, disputes related to non-payment, um, and release of monies under the major lien fund and minor lien fund. There's going to be very tight timelines. For example, um, as soon as a party gives notice of their intention for a matter to be adjudicated, the parties have four days to agree on the adjudicator. And while not released yet, there's going to be a list of adjudicators um, that are published and the parties can select amongst them. The parties cannot agree on an adjudicator, the nominating authority, which is um, essentially a term for those in charge under this new legislation will appoint um, an adjudicator within seven days. Once that adjudicator is appointed, the party that started the adjudication will have five days to send documents that they intend to rely on in support of their claim to the adjudicator and the other parties. Now, when we think about these tight timelines, what, what clients and individuals and corporations in the industry need to think about is their document management system. You're only going to have five days to forward documents once an adjudication process has been started, which once you file the notice, the maximum length is going to be 11 days until the adjudication process has been started. Everybody needs to be cognizant of the fact that their documents need to be in a, an organized and structured manner so that these can be easily and quickly sent to your adjudicator. And if the value warrants retaining legal counsel or the subject matter warrants retaining legal counsel, um, it's going to be important that these documents are, are organized so that the lawyer can get up to speed very quickly. Now, uh, the responding party, the person that is um, responding to the adjudication request will have 12 days to provide their responding documents. And once both parties have exchanged documents, the adjudicator has 30 days to issue a decision. While there's some um, discretion um, to the adjudicator to extend the deadlines, um, the maximum amount of time that the adjudicator can extend the deadlines is 10 days. So right now, we don't know exactly what this process is going to look like. Um, all we can do is take insight from other jurisdictions in Alberta. And what we have learned from other jurisdictions is that what we need to do is ensure not only, as I discussed, that our documents are in place, but also that someone within each organization is is prepared to advocate on behalf of the company within these adjudications or that there's legal counsel readily available to assist. Now, 
when it comes to the adjudication process, we must keep in mind that the formal court process is still available. And that should be kept in mind when it comes to lien registration periods. Just because an adjudication has been commenced um, does not mean that there's a suspension of any time to register liens. The lien process will likely often be determined in court. However, this is going to be a, a learning process for both the clients and legal counsel. What we do know about the adjudication process is that the determination of the adjudicator is going to be final and binding on the parties, with some exceptions as a right to appeal. Um, these are very limited in the circumstances, um, which would mean that the applicant did not have the legal capacity. Um, the contract or subcontract was already completed or never existed. Um, the determination by the adjudicator was entirely unrelated to the subject matter of the adjudication, or the adjudication was conducted by someone who is not a duly qualified adjudicator. There is also always questions or issues related to application of the law. That's all I really have to say at this point um, when it comes to these um, new adjudication procedures. We're going to be learning lots as the uh, months ensue here. Um, it should be uh, uh, an interesting, interesting learning experience for everyone. Um, but the hope is, is that contractors, subcontractors, owners all become a little clearer on payment and what qualifies as a reason for not providing payment. And hopefully there's some clarity um, between everyone as to how payment mechanisms are going to be, how they're going to go down the chain, um, whether it be owner, contractor, or subcontractor. And hopefully this makes a, a much smoother process um, for construction projects. Uh, those are my comments, Leanne, thanks. Thanks so much, Matt. Yeah, certainly, um, you know, we'll, we'll be talking to some of our, you know, Ontario litigators as to how, you know, adjudication is working there and, and helping us along the way. Um, although obviously we have, uh, you know, our, our own process here, but I know certainly for, you know, drafting the contracts, it, uh, it makes it, uh, you know, more complicated. Um, you know, you look at the CCDC documents that have, you know, arbitration language and, you know, also you can go to courts with the CCDCs and, and how is adjudication going to work in with that? So, you know, we have experience, uh, you know, drafting revisions to those concepts uh, so that none of those provisions um, can take away your rights to, to refer matters to adjudication um, under the Act. And so it, it does take some, you know, additional supplementary general conditions to bring in provisions relating to proper invoices, adjudication, um, certainly, as I said, in some cases, you know, adding in the concept of draft invoices. So a really creative time for the construction solicitors and a very novel time for all construction litigators who absolutely are, are going to be dealing with uh, these adjudications, which, you know, um, you could see how ultimately on a, you know, a large construction project, 
um, the number of forms that will have to be issued uh, by contractors to subcontractors uh, on large projects if uh, contractors need to do, uh, you know, essentially disputing payments to the subs that were not getting paid by the owner. Um, it's, uh, they're, they're short forms, but they have to be given on a really timely basis. So again, I'm just really thrilled that Aaron, Alexis, and Matt, we, we could all meet today together to, to explain to our listeners sort of the highlights of the new changes coming into force in Alberta on August 29th. Um, from and after that date, there'll be no more Builders Lean Act terminology in our province. It's going to be the Prompt Payment and Construction Lean Act and its accompanying regulations. And so as you can hear, listeners, you know, there are a lot of changes that are coming into force and, and they were going to be significant uh, for owners, contractors and subcontractors. You, know, you need to be carefully reviewing your contracts, your payment procedures, contract administration and revising them to comply with the new statutory regime. Denton's is a global law firm that provides services to clients worldwide through its member firms and affiliates. This episode isn't designed to provide legal or other advice and you shouldn't take or refrain from taking action based on its content. Our speakers on this podcast or any other professionals in our group would be pleased to speak with you on today's topic or any other related topics. Thank you for listening and stay tuned for other episodes.